First Chronicles chapter 14, verse 1 says, In Hiram, king of Tyre, sent messengers to David and cedar trees, also masons and carpenters, to build a house for him. And David knew that the Lord had established him as king over Israel, and that his kingdom was highly exalted for the sake of his people, Israel. So here in just the first couple of verses, um, I want to just pause and, and uh, take a look at this, acknowledge this, and consider what we have. Because here we have uh, the neighboring uh, country or nation of Tyre acknowledging David's reign and honor him by sending him not only uh, lumber, but also the finest of craftsmen to build him a house. And so David received all of this, he received the craftsmen, further establishing an alliance with Tyre as well. Tyre and Sidon, if you look at a map of Israel, you would look north to what today is known as Lebanon, and these are coastal cities. So Tyre is a little lower than Sidon, and and you see it along the coast just north of Israel. It was by this act of generosity by the king of Tyre that we know, we know in this also there's some political maneuvering that took place. But in that, David was encouraged in the establishment of his reign over Israel. And he acknowledged it as such. If we think about David, uh, it wasn't just overnight that he got to this place. In fact, it was at the age of 14 that David was first anointed as king by Samuel. But it wasn't until the age of, do you guys know the age? It's interesting. At what age did David assume the throne? When, did, when, did, when was Jesus' ministry? When did, when did it begin? When Jesus was what? 30. 30, right? And it lasted for... Uh, three years, right? So David is known to have been 30 years old when he began his reign, when he actually assumed the role. Because we know that although he was anointed, he experienced many trials and difficult situations in order to build him up to be ready to assume the throne at just the right time. You see, the Lord's timing is always perfect. He is always on time, never late. He wasn't rerouted. He wasn't stopped from doing what he wanted to do. No one can thwart the plans and purposes of God. Not even David or Saul or the Philistines or anyone else. And so when David assumed the throne of Israel, he assumed it, assumed it at just the right time at the age of 30. I say this so that we will understand that David up to this point had had much work that the Lord had done in his own life. And he assumed the throne. And he had built a reputation for himself but more importantly for the glory of God. Now notice as we read these two verses how David acknowledged what was happening at this time. First of all, David did something very important. David accredited God for the further establishment of his reign through the stirring of hearts to build David a home. He gave God the credit. He didn't give the king of Tyre credit. He didn't give anyone else the credit. He gave all the credit to the Lord. Secondly, David acknowledged that it was God's kingdom. And it was God's kingdom that was highly exalted. And it was for the benefit of God's people. When we continually give acknowledgement to the Lord and give glory to the, to the Lord in this manner, and we set ourselves aside, which is, is good for us, it's something that we ought to... Um, express time and time again that we would get into the habit of giving God all the glory, what happens is we realize that we're just an instrument and we humble ourselves in the sight of all men and more importantly before the Lord, knowing that he receives all the glory and we do not. And so David acknowledged this, even though he 
was set upon the throne of Israel. Remember, David was a man after God's own heart. And this demonstrated, even in these two verses, it demonstrates a humility toward God. David simply knew that he was an instrument in God's hand to fulfill God's will. However, God desired. And it was to bless God's people and glorify the Lord. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 10, the Apostle Paul says, But by the grace of God I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. May we be encouraged in Christ to do and be what he has called us to, knowing that we are able to do so, not by our own, our own strength, not by our own might, but by his spirit, by his grace. David, in this moment, had clarity of thought, knowing God's purpose for himself and his purpose for Israel through the events that were taking place. Verse 3, as we continue, says, And David took more wives in Jerusalem, and David fathered more sons and daughters. These are the names of the children born to him in Jerusalem. Shammua, Shobab, Nathan, Solomon, Ibar, Elishua, Elpilet, Enoga, Nepheg, Jephiah, Elishama, Belida, and Eliphalet. Just, this is important. Of course he took more wives. And we also know uh, that he took more concubines. And just because he took more wives in Jerusalem, as it says here, doesn't mean that it was right to do so. In fact... It was clearly a moral failure on the part of King David. How do we know that? Is it, is it our own opinion? Because the Bible simply speaks the truth. This is exactly what David did. In Deuteronomy chapter 17, verse 17, it says, And he, that is the king, these are instructions for the king of Israel, and he shall not acquire many wives for himself, lest his heart turn away. Nor shall he acquire for himself excessive silver and gold. He shall not acquire many wives for himself. Second Samuel chapter 5 verse 13 says, And David took more concubines and wives from Jerusalem after he, be, after he came from Hebron, and more sons and daughters were born to David. So we know that this is the lust of the eyes, and this is exactly what overtook David. This lust of the eyes is what allowed, he allowed, David allowed, to lead him into adultery with Bathsheba. After all, it was in Jerusalem as he was taking more wives and more concubines that this took place. This led to the murder of her husband, Uriah the Hittite. And we need to always remember, as a consequence, that this led to much trouble for David's family, his home. You see, he was warned. Deuteronomy 17, 17. In fact, in that section, we see exactly what is required of a king. And so with that, God does not change. It is set. And therefore, it serves as a warning to any of Israel's kings to follow the instructions that the Lord has set out. He was warned according to God's word, but God in this, in through this, was gracious, merciful, and patient with David as he is with us. Thank the Lord that he is patient with us, he is gracious, he is merciful. But we need to ask the Lord in that time of grace, mercy, and patience, what is it for? Why is he gracious toward, toward us? Why is he merciful? Why, why is he being patient with us? Is it because he wants to simply overlook sin? Is that what God does? No, he doesn't do that. He doesn't overlook sin, does he? 
He doesn't sweep it under the rug. He doesn't ignore it. Because remember, God is love, but he's also just. He's a God who is gracious, but he's also just. And he applies judgment. It is, after all, grace, mercy, and patience for us to acknowledge and confess in turn from our sin. You see, it's his kindness that draws us unto himself as we realize, God, you've been gracious with me. You've been merciful with me. You've been patient with me. In the moment that we acknowledge that we realize that we're in sin, at that very moment, we should praise God for that and at the same time fall on our face and ask him for forgiveness. All, all in one fell swoop, just go down and acknowledge him and ask him for forgiveness. Notice that David's sinful decisions were often made in times of success, victory, and peace. Keep that in mind. Perhaps this should serve us today to be more mindful of the times when we have maybe abundance, successes, we experience victories in our lives, and things seem to be peaceful or, in other words, going our way. It seems that God is showing us favor When someone asks us, what can I pray for you about, for? And we can't think of anything. But perhaps just thank the Lord for what he's doing. It's it's during those times that we ought to be mindful. We ought to be sober-minded. We ought to be very careful To not let sinful temptations win us over and in a weak moment give in to them. Whatever it may be. Could be pride, could be anger, lust. Uh, And and lust, I'm not saying just sexual immorality. I'm talking about the lust lust of the eyes is, is to want more. Not being content with where we are. And it encompasses all kinds of things. David's decisions, you see, in these times came back to affect him at later times. You see, God doesn't work on our schedule. Again, why is it that he's gracious, merciful, and patient with us? It's to give us time in in that period for us to acknowledge what is going on so that we can repent, we can confess, we can acknowledge, we can agree with him that these are things that are an offense to him. And repent of those. Because rest assured he is just. Again can we do anything about this if we fail? Absolutely. We will fail. If you haven't today wait till tomorrow. There's always some place where we, where we come up short. Each and every one of, one of us. If we fail yes we confess. And we repent. First John 1 John 1.9 if we confess our sins. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness, right? So we confess, we ask for forgiveness, and he is faithful and just to forgive us. Second Peter 3.9 says that God wishes or desires that none should perish, but that all should reach repentance, right? A, a turning away from our sins, but it's just not a, a matter of the will. It's, it's a complete change of mind. It's the way in which we think. We commit that to the Lord. Because if we just turn today, we will to do this today, and fail to surrender it to the Lord, then tomorrow we'll fail. It'll be easy to do that because our minds are not changed. When we completely surrender our thoughts and give them captive, take them captive and, and yield them to the Lord, it's then that the Lord can work with that and give us new thoughts, new perspective. In that repentance, day after day, as we follow in the Spirit, God's truth will become part of who we are, a vessel that is completely consecrated unto the Lord. Well, these are the children that David fathered in Jerusalem, as noted here, as we read. And then we continue, verse 8 says, When the Philistines heard that David had been anointed king over all Israel, all the Philistines went up to search for David. 
But David heard of it and went out against them. Now the Philistines had come and made a raid in the valley of Rephaim. And David inquired of God, shall I go up against the Philistines? Will you give them into my hand? And the Lord said to him, go up and I will give them into your hand. And he went up to Baal Perazim and David struck struck them down there. And David said, God has broken through my enemies by my hand like a bursting flood. Therefore, the name of that place is called Baal Perazim. And they left their gods there, and David gave command, and they were burned. So, as we saw previously, the king of Tyre was very welcoming. He wanted to build an alliance with Israel. And so, he, his heart was stirred by the Lord, and he sent him fine craftsmen, uh, or the best of craftsmen, uh, and... Uh, and just everything that he needed to build a house. But not everyone was happy and welcoming to David as king of Israel. Of course, the Philistines weren't happy. And upon hearing about David being anointed as king of Israel, immediately they came against Israel. Just as David had an ally with Tyre, he had an enemy with the Philistines. Simply because there was opposition didn't mean that David was out of God's will. Well, I'm confused. Not everyone is for me. Yeah. You see, the enemy is against anything that is of the Lord. And he will come against the work of the Lord. The Israelites had all kinds of opposition and battles to fight within the land that were given to them by God. Right? In the promised land. Was it all easy as they came in? After all, this is the land that God had promised them and brought them into. Now they fought to possess what was entrusted to them. They fought to dispossess what was opposed to God and was evil within what was given to them. A principle perhaps in our own lives, of our own lives, according to God's will, of what should be taking place in our homes, in our marriages, in our relationships with others, the manner in which we conduct ourselves at at work and with others. You see, God has entrusted to us so much. And to whom much has been given, much is expected, especially as we gain an understanding of how it is that we bring glory to God as we come to understand God's word. God was indeed working in David's life, but the devil was busy as well. Perhaps you've acknowledged that. Perhaps you've come to understand that. God is at work in our lives. He'll never leave us. He'll never forsake us. He's sanctifying us. He's building us up. He's molding us and shaping us into the image of our Lord and Savior. And the enemy all the while is trying to destroy and mar that image. Whatever work God is accomplishing, the devil seeks to undermine it. John 10.10, Jesus said, The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Time and time again, the Lord warned the disciples, told them that in this life you will have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. We in Christ can be content knowing that for us, as long as we're abiding in Christ and we're walking in His will, who can thwart God's plans? Who can come against us? Even though we be forsaken by the world, we are honoring to the Lord as we express a faith in Him. And all things work together for good to those who love God and are the called according to his purpose. All things. All things. We need to believe that. We need to walk that out. So as the Philistines began their offensive, David went to the Lord and inquired of him, asking the Lord whether he should go up against the Philistines or not. I, you know, <clears throat> at first glance, on the surface, it seems like an interesting question that David offered to the Lord. Given this is the kingdom of God, 
the, the kingdom of God. And this is, this is actually the kingdom that God had anointed David to oversee and protect. But what David was doing was acknowledging that God was his Lord and was requesting his guidance in this manner. And in this matter, he went to him, demonstrating that he was completely dependent upon God. That he was completely trusting him for victory, instructions, guidance, details. However it came, as it would ultimately be God's choosing, God's victory, and God's glory. And we know as we read that God honored David's inquiry and dependence on him and told David, go up and I will give them into your hand. This is something that we ought to take note of ourselves as God, the Lord, told David, go. Go up. I will give you victory. I will give them into your hand. And God indeed gave David a decisive victory, so much so that he described it in in this way. It was like a flood of water having its way with anything in its path. That's how it was. As the Philistines came against Israel and Israel fought back, it was as if they were absolutely nothing before the army of Israel. The other day I saw a video. I I believe it was a video of this road in the Bahamas, I believe it is. And um, it's it's a, a narrow portion of land and apparently one side of the, the ocean, um, the waves were crashing up against it and it was very windy. And a lot of water came up and over. There was a vehicle that was parked um, on the shoulder of the road. It came over and brought it over and into the other part of the ocean. I mean, just, just like that. Hopefully no one was in the vehicle and they were all just observing from a distance. But that was, that's the power of that much water and the power of the ocean, just like that. Uh, a vehicle that weighs thousands of pounds is just tossed like a little feather in the, in the wind. And so for David, as he looked at this victory He described it in this way. It was like a flood of water just having its way. It's as if nothing was in their way. They knew that it was the Lord giving them an overwhelming victory. And then we know they they even, they left so quickly that they left all their idols. That is, the Philistines left all their idols that they had brought to help them in the battle. They were abandoned and Israel burned them upon David's command. By doing this, David was acknowledging that these idols were nothing and they were to be destroyed and not handled or brought back to the people of Israel. There are times when we need to consider what we're handling in the moment. The things that really should be destroyed, abandoned, Something that is affecting our relationship with the Lord, our worship of Jesus. You see, it doesn't have to be something physical or tangible. It could be just our own affections. What have we built up to take the place of the Lord? What's, what's causing us to fall short of just completely giving ourselves to the worship of the Lord? They need to be dealt with. They need to be completely given over to destruction, completely given over to the Lord. But just like the enemy in our lives, the Philistines, even with this loss, weren't ready to give up. And what they do? They came back against the Israelites. Again, this is what the enemy does time and time again. We need to be strengthened for the next one. And know how to handle opposition. Verse 13. And the Philistines yet again made a raid in the valley. And when David again inquired of God. God said to him. You shall not go up after them. Go around and come against them. Opposite the balsam trees. And 
When you hear the sound of marching in the tops of the balsam trees, then go out to battle. For God has gone out before you to strike down the army of the Philistines. And David did as God commanded him, and they struck down the Philistine army from Gibeon to Gezer. And the fame of David went out into all lands, and the Lord brought the fear of God, uh, fear of him, upon all nations. Upon all nations. So the Philistines returned. Uh, They made a raid, and again David, at this moment, inquired of the Lord. Remember that David very clearly is taking God's lead. But at the same time, didn't God previously already tell him, Go up against them. I have given them over to you, to your hand. Yes, but this was a different battle. A separate occasion. Again, this is incredible on the part of King David. I find it incredible that he went back to the Lord. He expressed such a humility, such a a trust, a yielding of his will to the Lord's will. A king. The king of Israel. Perhaps there's a different way to know victory. You see... The enemy will adapt. His schemes are common, and after a while, you, you see some punches telegraphed, but the enemy always adapts, and he's cunning. But we need to also remember that no one is greater than God, and we need to look to him. We need to ask for his wisdom, for his direction. How do we handle this one? How do I handle this one? I know it's the same person it's the same nation it's the same people it's the same company whatever it is but how do i handle this one you see with god all things are possible but if you're relying on yourself you'll fumble we'll fumble david wouldn't know unless he went to the lord and inquired of him and as it were god gave did indeed give the Philistines into David's hand, but this time is to be done a different way. Same enemy, different way. What God had directed David to do required immense faith, a keen alertness and a sensitivity to discern when God had moved out ahead of them and then behind him And into battle, they went to strike down the enemy. You see, it wasn't just head on. There's there's a moment to come up just toe-to-toe and directly against our enemy. And at other times, it requires this. This is exactly what the Lord was telling David to do. No, you're not going to go directly into him. That's not how I'm going to give them into your hand. Unless the Lord is with us and goes before us, our plans and actions are futile and they're empty. They end in failure. And so David was seeking God in prayer and then faithfully executed what God spoke to him to do. It says here that David did as God commanded him. And they struck down the Philistine army from Gibeon to Gezer. He did as David told him and as the Lord told him, and, and with this, he knew victory over the enemy. As we wrestle with God in prayer, and this is exactly what David was doing, and as he, the Lord, makes clear, according to his word, what we are to do, we also are to faithfully execute as he goes before us, and we will see him glorified. As David did... As God commanded him that he knew victory in that, in that time. And there was a fear that was struck deep into the hearts of all the nations around Israel. You see, the Lord was doing a work, not just in the moment. And this is what we need to understand. God is not just doing a work in the moment and directly with David and Israel, having victory over the Philistines. 
But the manner in which it, it happened struck fear in the hearts of all the nations around. This is super important. It's an acknowledgement that God was with Israel. God was with David. And the Lord was working this out all at the same time. They understood the Lord was their God. And no one compared to him. And they were fearful. But let's continue on to chapter 15. Where we see how the ark was brought finally to Jerusalem. Verse 1 says, David built houses for himself in the city of David. And he prepared a place for the ark of God and pitched a tent for it. Then David said that, No one but the Levites may carry the ark of God, for the Lord had chosen them to carry the ark of the Lord and to minister to him forever. Let's pause for a moment. Finally, right? We we read in chapter 13 how it was that the ark had been placed on a cart and led uh, by oxen, and they didn't get very far. And so finally... We get to a point where David did exactly what the Lord instructed them to do. The point was made, as we read here, that at this time David lived in houses while the ark of God was housed in a tent. But of course we know that a tent uh, or anything really does not secure the Lord in that place. But it was a place of worship. And so he was being brought to it, a tent But remember that David also desired to build God a temple. But of course we know that God told him that he couldn't because he was a man of war. He had shed much blood. But the Lord also told him that his son Solomon would build a temple and David would make all the preparations, would be able to make all the preparations for his son to successfully do so. In verse 2, It says, then David said that no one but the Levites may carry the ark of God, for the Lord had chosen them to carry the ark of the Lord and to minister to him forever. No one but the Levites may carry the ark of God. Yes. Finally, we we read, right, that David learned what God required. He made corrections And then gave accurate instructions on how to move the ark this time. Not last time, but this time. He did. Again, this is is beautiful as I think about how it is that David had made a mistake in misinterpreting or basically not even acknowledging God's word previously. The consequences of that, well, it cost Uzzah's life. And now, he made corrections according to God's word. This is this humility. And then he acknowledged that by following through with them. He says, for the Lord had chosen them. Who? The Levites. To carry the ark of the Lord. To carry the ark of the Lord. Not place it on another cart, but to carry the ark of the Lord. And to minister to him forever. It was indeed only for the Levites to carry the ark and not ever to transport it on a cart. And so David acknowledged this, and then he called everyone together. It was time to bring the ark of the Lord to Jerusalem from the house of Obed-Edom. Verse 3 says, And David assembled all Israel at Jerusalem to bring up the ark of the Lord to its place, which he had prepared for it. And David gathered together the sons of Aaron and the Levites, of the sons of Kohath, Uriel, the chief, with 120 of his brothers, of the sons of Merari, Isaiah, the chief, with 220 of his brothers, of the sons of Gershom, Joel, the chief, with 130 of his brothers, of the sons of Elisaphan, Shemaiah, the chief, with 200 of his brothers, of the sons of Hebron, Eliel, the chief, with 80 of his brothers, of the sons of Uziel, Aminadab, the chief, with 112 of his brothers. And David summoned the priests, Zadok, and Abiathar, and the Levites, Uriel, Isaiah, Joel, Shemaiah, Eliel, 
and Aminadab, and said to them, You are the heads of the fathers' houses of the Levites. Consecrate yourselves, you and your brothers, so that you may bring up the ark of the Lord, the God of Israel, to the place that I have prepared for it. Because you did not carry it, carry it the first time, the Lord, our God, broke out against us, because we did not seek him according to the rule. So the priests and the Levites consecrated themselves to bring up the ark of the Lord, the God of Israel, and the Levites carried the ark of God on their shoulders with poles, as Moses had commanded according to the word of the Lord. So the listing of the names, and as we covered them in verses 3 through 10, and their ancestries was to prepare really us, the reader, for the following verses and their details of functions. So as a summary, and then we go into detailed functions. David called the Levitical priests. He gathered them all together. He gave them instructions in the preparation on how to move the ark of God, reminding them that they are the leaders and are called on by God to do this work. Again, this is a regrouping by King David. At this moment, he was saying, it's your responsibility. The Lord has assigned you. We know that it's according to God's word. And this is how we're going to do it. And he told them two things. Number one, sanctify yourselves. They were to ready themselves spiritually, completely committing themselves and devoting themselves to this very work. Understanding that they were about to carry the ark of God into Jerusalem. They needed to make sure that they were in the right place with God and nothing was left undealt with. Everything was being, had been taken care of by them before the Lord. And there were no connections, absolutely no connections with anything that was unclean. So number one, sanctify yourselves is what he told them. And secondly, he said, do it right. David acknowledged and confessed that the reason Uzzah was struck down was because the Levites did not carry the ark of God and it was not done right. He acknowledged that. He said, because you did not carry it the first time, number one, it wasn't even a Levite that was carrying the ark of God. In fact, it wasn't carried at all. The Lord our God broke out against us because we did not seek him according to the rule, according to his word. And so we know, as he acknowledged and confessed, it wasn't done right. So this time, consecrate yourselves and then do it right. You see, both of these are important. To set ourselves apart from anything that is not of God and to set ourselves completely unto the service of God and to do what he wills according to his word and then do it right. To do it right. Sometimes we take grace to a place where really that's not the intention of God's grace. We use it as sometimes as a a, a means by which we can justify us falling short when we know full well exactly what God's word says. David Guzik said this, quote, Ministry that pleases God is done the right way by sanctified men for the right end result, close quote. And so the Levites did as David directed them to, consecrating themselves and then carrying the ark on their shoulders by the poles as directed by God's word. So they carried the ark of God miles. It wasn't just a short distance, but it was still a ways from Jerusalem. And and they carried it by the poles all the way from the house of Obed-Edom into Jerusalem. Let's continue, though. Verse 16, there's still some more preparation that's taking place here. David also commanded the chiefs of the Levites to appoint their brothers as the singers who should play loudly on musical instruments, on harps and lyres and cymbals to raise sounds of joy. So the Levites appointed Heman, the son of Joel, and of his brothers Asav, the son of Berechiah, and of the sons of Merari, their, their brothers, Ethan, the son of Cushiah, 
and with them their brothers of the second order, Zechariah, Jeziel, uh, Shemaramoth, um, Jael, Unai, Eliab, Benaiah, Maseah, uh, Mattathiah, Eliphalehu, and Mekneah, and the gatekeepers, Obed-Edom and Jael. The singers, Heman, Asaph, and Ethan, were to sound bronze cymbals, Zechariah, Aziel, and Shemaramoth, Jael, Unai, Eliab, Maseah, and Benaiah were to play harps according to Alamoth. But Mattathiah, Eliphalehu, Mekneah, Obed-Edom, Jael, and Azaziah were to lead with lyres according to the Sheminith. Chenaniah, leader of the Levites in music, should direct the music, for he understood it. Berechiah and Elkanah were to be gatekeepers for the ark. Shebaniah, Joshaphat, uh, Nathanael, Amasai, Zechariah, Benaiah, and Eliezer, the priest, should blow the trumpets before the ark of God. Obed-Edom and Jehiah were to be gatekeepers for the ark. And so there was, a fur- there was further preparation assignments. This is all for the worship of the Lord in this procession that was going from, again, the house of Obed-Edom to Jerusalem. It was a command by David that praise and worship was to be offered to God in this procession, that they should play loudly and sing loudly to raise sounds of great joy. And it was all organized. It was all organized. It was done in a manner that honored and glorified the Lord. You see, God is a God of order. He's not a God of chaos. And so it was all done in a manner that honored and glorified the Lord. Listen, worship unto the Lord is not to be melancholy. It's not to be plain, or it's definitely not supposed to be focused on self, but on the Lord. After all, we're singing His praises We're his people who should be joyful, filled with gratitude as we raise these loud sounds of joy to him. That's why I tell you every now and then, don't worry about what the person in front of you, whether they agree with how you are singing or not. You're pleasing to their ears because really if it's coming from the heart, sing loud and with great joy unto the Lord. We're singing after all his praises, not our praises. We're not here to impress anyone around us. We're here simply to express our affection to our Savior, our Lord, our King. This was all organized, and even the gatekeepers were assigned before the ark of God. Did you, did you catch that as we went through? Even the gatekeepers... They weren't at the tent yet, and yet they were assigned. There were certain men that were assigned to be gatekeepers for the place where the ark of the Lord was to be housed. You see, each assignment was important. Every single assignment was important and served the Lord. And it was an offering of oneself to the service of God among his people after all. He is worthy. So I want to encourage you, no no matter where you're serving within this local church, please know that there is no service, there is no place of serving the Lord that is of less value than any other. We're just all serving differently and in different places, all in honor of the Lord. To facilitate the worship of God. In fact, our own service to God is a, is a form of worship to Him. So we need to always keep that in mind. Nothing is small in the eyes of the Lord. Everything is significant. He is worthy. Verse 25, as we continue. says, So David and the elders of Israel and the commanders of thousands went to bring up the ark of the covenant of the Lord from the house of Obed-Edom with rejoicing. And because God helped the Levites who were carrying the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, they sacrificed seven bulls and seven rams. David was clothed with a robe of fine linen, as also were all the Levites who were carrying the Ark. And the singers and 
uh, Chananiah, the leader of the music of the singers, and David wore a linen ephod. So all Israel brought up the ark of the covenant of the Lord with shouting to the sound of the horn, trumpets, and cymbals, and made loud music and har- on harps and lyres. When worship is in its proper order, it is filled with joy. There is joy. There is gladness. I, I don't know how many times I've, from years ago, um, we could be having a, a passionate discussion on the way to church. You get my point? Okay. Everything could be going perfect at home with the kids. You understand what I'm saying, right? No, everything is a wreck. We're, we, we, we leave the home and, and like everyone's in a bad mood. And we're going to church. Like someone can even say, you know, we're going to church. Be joyful. You know, that, that doesn't do any good. It actually is kind of a little salt that is placed into the wound, Right? And then you come in, hey, God bless you, brother. How are you? Great. Yeah. Liar. (laughs) And then you come in. And this is for us. It probably doesn't happen to anyone else. But for us, as we walked in, the moment that we began to worship and consider who we were there for, None of that mattered. In fact, perhaps in the midst of it all, we allowed the enemy to take root in all of that and make us upset and have our minds somewhere else all the way up to the moment we began to worship the Lord. You know, the Lord inhabits the praises of his people. That's what the word tells us. That's why in the moment to where... You know, we can fight, but don't fight. Don't fight worship. When, when you're here, worship the Lord. Everything else, you know, in the moment, I remember in the moment of worship, I would be saying, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I've fallen short once again. Please forgive me. In that moment of confession, of complete repentance unto the Lord, that's actually what he expects of us, what he asks of us, what he tells us he desires of us, we are at that moment able to praise him with great joy, knowing that he is gracious and he is wonderful toward us. He is amazing. He's not only saved us, but we know that as we read in John 10.10, I have come that they may have life abundantly. An abundant life is not one of opulence or having everything It's knowing that we have peace with the Father because of our relationship with the Son. And then walking out our lives, abiding in Christ, and knowing that peace that surpasses all understanding, standing in the hope that can only be known in Christ Jesus our Lord, and then acknowledging that God is faithful, and He is good, and He is worthy of our praises. When worship is in its proper order, there is joy and gladness. As the Lord's presence is acknowledged and he serves as the object of our praise. He is good and just. He is gracious and he is faithful. And it says here, because God helped the Levites who were carrying the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, they sacrificed. So they acknowledged you know, the weight of, not, not the ark. You see, it was one thing, they, they carried the ark all the way. But it was the weight of the ministry. It was, it was the weight of serving the Lord in that way. Remember, Uzzah had reached out and he was killed. Judgment immediately came upon Uzzah. And so, of course, gently approaching the Lord, doing so in the right manner, Doing it according to God's word is so important. And for them, they acknowledged that God had helped them carry the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. And then they sacrificed. In fact, 
What that means is that they were offering God um, these, these sacrifices of thanksgiving because they knew that they could not do it unless God had willed it to take place the way he instructed. It was only because of the Lord. It would not be of any value unless God was with them. So they offered him worship in the offering because he was with them. May we often acknowledge that he is with us and he is helping us each step of the way as we minister to him in and through our lives. As it is described that David was clothed also. Now, I know that some commentators, um, I don't know how it is that they read into this that, uh, that David was in his chonies. David was not immodest before the Lord. He was not. In fact, you know, we need to ask ourselves this question. Do you really believe that after all that had taken place, and the lengths to which David went to make sure all was done well and right, that he would then demonstrate contempt toward God by being immodest before him? I, I, I think that he would be very careful, right? Maybe extra careful considering what had just taken place three months earlier, to make sure that everything was done right and he was in the right place before the Lord. Remember how he told the priests, hey, go sanctify yourselves. Consecrate yourselves unto the Lord and then do it right. Do you not think that he himself was doing the very same thing? Absolutely. You see, it says here that he was dressed like everyone else, like the other Levites who were carrying the ark. interesting we're going to talk a little bit more about it in just a couple minutes but here as we see them entering into jerusalem there was great joy unreserved worship the sound of the instruments and singing filled the air as they all brought the ark of the lord to jerusalem and then they entered with the shafar being blown what a beautiful sound and then verse 29 Says, and as the ark of the covenant of the Lord came to the city of David, Michael, the daughter of Saul, looked out of the window and saw King David dancing and celebrating, and she despised him in her, in her heart. Uh, let's let's talk about David's dancing and celebration. It was all done with passion, and the love for the Lord. And notice that everyone else was doing the very same thing. They were all doing the very same thing. David had simply set aside his royal apparel and donned clothing just like everyone else. He was filled with emotion. Have you ever been filled with emotion? So overwhelmed? Acknowledging who God is in the very moment? I, I don't know. There have been times when, when I'm, and I'm glad I sit up here in the front, but perhaps the worship team can, can see, but sometimes I find myself, I, it just, it's just streams of tears because I, I'm just, I'm thinking about the Lord. I'm thinking just how good he is. I am so faithless and he is so faithful. He is so gracious and I am not. He is so good. And yet, he's demonstrated this love toward us. And you're filled with emotion. You're overwhelmed with his love. You're overwhelmed with his grace. Well, this is exactly what was happening with David and all the people. They were just filled with emotion. And at the same time, they were in their right minds. You see, you can be filled with emotion, but at the same time, be in your right mind, not out of your mind. Not barking like dogs, not squirming on the ground, out of control. Not everyone speaking in whatever it is at the same time. That, that's, that's chaos, that's out of control, that's not of the spirit. 
There's, there's no example of that in the word. Whatsoever. But they're all singing. They're all dancing with one voice. They were singing unto the Lord. Because remember that this whole procession was carefully planned and executed up to and including the singers, the worship directors, the musicians, the gatekeepers, the Levites carrying the ark of God, and even the clothing he chose to wear and not wear. Everything. And again, David was not the only one dancing and singing and praising God. It was, it was all of them doing this very same thing. You see, we need to be very careful. Our emotions should not be detached from our Christian faith. They cannot be. But they should be considered in light of truth. For emotions should not be allowed to be manipulated to the point of overriding what is right, what is true. And at the same time, emotions shouldn't be subdued, completely restrained or prevented, suppressed, if you will. We shouldn't. But again, we should consider our emotions in light of truth. God's word. You see, David's expression was appropriate in context. In context, for the moment, this was appropriate. It was right. As they came in, Michael, the daughter of Saul, saw how David was worshiping the Lord and she despised him in her heart. We get some more details in 2 Samuel chapter 6, verse 20. It says, And David returned to bless his household, but Michael, the daughter of Saul, came out to meet David and said, How the king of Israel honored himself today, uncovering himself today before the eyes of his servants, female servants, as uh, before the eyes of his servants, female servants, as one of the vulgar fellows shamelessly uncovers himself. And the verse 21 says, And David said to Michael, It was before the Lord who chose me above your father and above all his house to appoint me as prince over Israel, the people of the Lord. And I will celebrate before the Lord. I will make myself yet more contemptible than this, and I will be abased in your eyes. But by the female servants of whom you have spoken, by them I shall be held in honor. And Michael, the daughter of Saul, had no child to the day of her death. You see, her problem was that David had, had taken off his royal robes and made himself like everyone else in the worship of his God. He was just like anyone else. It didn't matter position, authority, nothing mattered. David humbled himself before God and he did not allow anyone to make him think or act otherwise. Not even his wife. You see, our, our spouse, sometimes, unfortunately, I've seen it time and time again, how a spouse is given the power to completely take someone out of worship, service unto the Lord. And as we see here, this is actually a right example it's an example of, of a man who, who, whose heart was completely after God's heart. He is a man after God's heart. He says, hey, listen, I'll be abased even more in your eyes. I'll be even more contemptible. But as for me, I'm going to continue worshiping the Lord. It was unto him after all. It was not, it was not to please you to please him, to honor him. Listen, if our love for others doesn't seem like hatred in comparison to our love for him, then are we really following him? Is he really our king and our Lord? It's our example that others can look to and perhaps at, at some point as they come to the Lord, will say, you know what? You never wavered. You never left your first love. Your first love is the Lord. Now I see that. 
and hopefully they come to that place where they too will be more concerned over pleasing God than pleasing anyone else. You see, she was more concerned over the, the appearance, the position, title, the authority of his kingship. She just could not understand how he could ever lower himself and do such a thing. The world will never understand how it is that we all can humble ourselves before the king and worship and honor him above all. But just as David's heart belonged to God and his response was correct, so should our hearts also belong entirely to the Lord. As we commit ourselves, devote ourselves to the Lord, as we consecrate ourselves unto him and completely yield to his lordship in our lives. May this all serve as an encouragement for you. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, once again for this evening and all that we have learned, all that we have come to read and understand. Father, I pray, Lord, that you would continue to stir our hearts. Remind us of these these truths that we have just gone over. Lord, that you would be honored and glorified today and until the day we are home with you. In Jesus' name we pray.